Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters on this Tuesday, January 17th in the year of our Lord, 2017. We hope you're not in ice where you are. It's thought out here in St. Louis where we're broadcasting from the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and the studios of Worldwide KFUO. I am your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. If you wish to find out more about our congregation, you can go to stmatthewbt.org. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a very important article of doctrine. In fact, it's often called the the central or chief article of Christian doctrine, and that is the article of justification, how we are put right with God. And that will be coming from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. If you wish to join in on our program today with your comments or questions, we have a toll-free number all across North America. That number is 800-730-2727. Again, 800-730-2727. And then locally here in St. Louis, our number is 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also email us with your comments or questions throughout this program. And our email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. Well, we have uh, two guests prepared to talk about this topic on justification today, one in studio and one on the phone. In studio, a frequent voice here on Worldwide KFUO, and that is Pastor Warren Worth, the pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. How are you today, Warren? I am well, my brother. How are you? Good, good. I understand you were iced out from having church on Sunday, as many of us were. That's true. The ice storm that came through uh, caused us to... uh cancel services on Sunday, and so we're grateful for those that were able to have services and those that were broadcast on KFU. That's one of the great uh, blessings that KFU has, not only for shut-ins on a regular basis, but also if you happen to get iced in or iced out um, on a particular Sunday, Worldwide KFUO does broadcast uh, church services and a Bible study all throughout Sunday morning. So uh, if people want to come to your church, Good Shepherd in Arnold, uh, uh, what time are your services on Sunday? Okay, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church is located at 2211 Tenbrook Road in Arnold. That's about a quarter mile from the front entrance to the Fox School campus. Our services on Sunday are at 9 a.m. Sunday school and Bible class are at 1030. And you have a web presence? We do. Our website is Good Shepherd Arnold. Dot O-R-G. So you have to know how to spell shepherd. <laughs> good shepherd Arnold dot O-R-G. Very good. Thank you, Warren, for coming in today. And then on the phone, we have uh, Pastor Rolf Preuss. 
and he is the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sydney, Montana, as well as St. John Lutheran Church in Fairview, Montana. Welcome, Rolf. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Good. And when I think of the article of justification, yours was one of the first names I thought of because uh, you have written and spoken extensively on this, as well as your sainted father, Dr. Robert Preuss, and the Preuss family is known for this topic. And in fact, you are going to be speaking uh, at a conference, I believe, next month on the topic of justification. Is that correct? That's right. I'm uh, someplace in Texas where it's warm. Yeah, Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, speaking at the Steadfast Lutherans Conference. And if people want to find out more about that, they can go to steadfastlutherans.org. So how are things up in Montana? Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. It's uh, We had some bitter cold weather here, but uh, today it's getting up into the uh, 20s, and uh, everything's white and beautiful. Just- Very good. If people want to find out about uh, your writings or your church, where can they go on the Internet? Well, go to uh, ChristForUs.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have on there, I have uh, sermons for several years back and, and uh, various articles and uh, things like that. It's uh, Christ for us, just spell it out, dot yeah. O-R-G. Very good, very good. Well, as I mentioned, today we're going to be talking about Article 4 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Once again, as we've been saying these several weeks, uh, the word apology here, apologia, does not mean, hey, we're, we're sorry that we wrote this. No, it's in fact the opposite. It's a spirited defense of the uh, bold confession that the Lutheran confessors made in the Augsburg Confession of 1530. And then the Roman pontifical confutation came uh, right after that. And so the Lutherans respond in 1531 with this apologia, this defense of the Augsburg Confession. And uh, just to refresh our memories here, in Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession itself, it's very brief. It's just a few sentences. And I'll read it here. Our churches teach that people cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merits, or works. People are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they are received into favor and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. By his death, Christ made satisfaction for our sins. God counts this faith for righteousness in his sight. And then uh, they mention Romans chapters 3 and 4. I guess we should start with a couple of definitions of these uh, heavy theological terms here. Uh, uh, Rolf, what do we mean here by justified or justification? What does that word actually mean? Well, the word uh, just and righteous mean the same thing. And uh, righteousify isn't a word. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it is, uh, to justify is when God says you are righteous. He, he pronounces you to be righteous. It's a declaration of God uh, that, uh, uh, that, that we are, are righteous. And, of course, uh, that's the, the literal meaning of it, to declare righteous. Mm-hmm. I think people are familiar with the term justify, 
perhaps with their word processor, Pastor Worth, they want to justify they, their margins. It means to set them up straight, right up and down, huh? That makes them even on, on one side or the other or both sides. Uh, but when we talk about it, speaking about persons, uh, often we even talk about self-justification, the fact that I want to tell people that what I did was okay. I'm making excuses for myself. So getting back to what Pastor Poise was saying, you know, the whole idea of justify is that somebody is acting as judge okay. and somebody's and it's declaring... related to the word justice. It there. is, yeah. very much. And so somebody who's acting in the role of judge is declaring somebody to be right, to be just, to be not guilty. And whether we're trying to justify ourselves and explain away our own sins by making excuses, or whether somebody else who is the righteous judge, namely the God who is creator of heaven and earth, is declaring us right on account of Christ, makes a world of difference. Okay. So what they're saying in the Augsburg Confession is that we cannot be pronounced right in God's sight by our own efforts, but we're uh, pronounced righteous, we're justified for Christ's sake through faith, that is, believing in what Christ has done in making satisfaction for our sins, in other words, atoning for our sins, and then God counts this faith for righteousness in his sight. Now, this raises a question about the placement of this article in the Augsburg Confession as Article 4. You know, in the Augsburg Confession, there are 28 articles, and there's the first group of 21, and then there's the last group, I believe, well, there'll be, what, seven, 22 through 28, or seven articles. Pastor Price, what is the difference in the Augsburg Confession in the way that they're thinking about articles 1 through 21 in, in, in confessing this before the Roman emperor, um, and... Articles 22 through 28. Were they presuming something about Articles 21, the first 21 articles, and then taking up 22 through 28 in a sort of a, a different way? Yeah, I would say they, they, they were. Uh, the, the first uh, articles, uh, they are hitting the, uh, the chief uh, doctrinal issues uh, of the Reformation, and uh, and they're trying to resolve that, settle that, and uh, and then they're going on uh, to 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 more practical uh, application. But uh, what they what they want to do, and and the Augsburg Confession, this is it's a very Catholic type of a document in the right sense of the word. That they're 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 appealing to what the Church has always taught, and that uh, uh, and and they're trying uh, to. Uh, to do so in a way that that any Christian who is committed to the historic teaching of the faith would be will, would be in agreement with what they're saying. So they're kind of assuming this is common ground that don't confuse us with these radical exactly. uh, Protestants or Reformed. Uh, you know, we're teaching nothing new here. So That's there's right. kind of this Pastor Worth this presumption on Articles twenty first twenty one articles. This should be common ground. Uh, We're teaching the faith once for all delivered to the saints in Holy Scripture. That's what they're saying. This, these these articles are things that you should readily see are the common faith that has always been taught throughout the Christian church in on Scripture earth. In Scripture and in the church fathers when they taught rightly and in 22 through 28. Here are just some abuses that we've corrected. Correct. That, that's the whole point. That Those others are, we, there are some abuses that have happened in the church, that have arisen in the church, and we have taken care now to correct those abuses on the basis 
basis of God's Word, and again, in accordance with the historic position of the Church. So recognizing that uh, human beings can go astray, this is a, a, a loving Christian correction to where the church had gone astray and saying we need to correct these abuses, again, on the basis of the authority of God's own word and how that word has been taught and understood in the church through the ages. For example, abuses that may have crept in in regard to the mass, the Lord, you know, the Lord's Supper and the divine service, in regard to penance or confession. Marriage uh, of priests. Yeah, yeah. So they're saying we've made these reforms these where there's some should be everybody should acknowledge there were some abuses that crept in but we haven't done anything strange or new here and so they would could say in just three or four sentences here's what we teach on god on original sin on the person of christ on justification on good works don't confuse us with these other crazy people uh we're not teaching anything new here now pastor Price. When we come to Article 4 in the Augsburg Confession, I haven't done a page count, but this may be the longest article in any of the confessions uh, in the Book of Concord. What, what did they discover? What became apparent after the Roman confutation and with another year of passage uh, that they could say in three or four sentences about justification in the Augsburg Confession, but then pages, dozens and dozens of pages on Article 4 in the Apology. What happened? What did they discover? Well, they discovered that this topic, which we call justification, is the central topic of the Christian faith, and it, it affects everything, and everything affects it. So that if you have this right, then everything else is, is, is going to... Uh, uh, to fall in line. If you get this wrong, it just twists absolutely everything. That's why they spent so much time dealing in such an exhaustive way on justification in the apology here. Uh, and I think you're right. I think it's, it, is, it is about the longest treatment of a topic that you'll find in the Book of Concord is, is what the apology says on justification. So these abuses, Pastor Worth, on the Mass and confession, it wasn't just a matter of a surface cleanup. I think, tell me if you agree with this, that what they discovered was underlying a number of abuses in the medieval Roman Catholic Church, underlying it is this central issue of how a person is put right with God. Absolutely. How would that, how would that show up in, for example, the Mass or Confession? Okay, yeah, that, that's very insightful, and you're absolutely on target there. Um, sure, so if, if your idea is that I must merit God's grace, I must earn my way into God's favor by what I do, then the way you approach the Lord's Supper is this is something I am doing to appease the wrath of God. Or the priest on my behalf. Or the priest on my behalf, exactly. And and so what we human beings are doing, priest and people, would be trying to placate an angry God by what we are doing instead of receiving from a gracious God what he has already done for us, accomplished for us once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the cross for us, as he was our sin-bearer, our mediator, our redeemer. Once and for all, he paid our debt, and he distributes those blessings that he earned for us 
through the means of grace, through the Lord's Supper, through baptism, through the, the written and spoken word of God, what a different worldview that is. You know, So if your idea is I have to earn God's favor versus God is already gracious to me and is giving me gifts through this means of grace, what a wonderful uh, blessing it is to know that rather than to think I have to earn God's favor. So, Likewise. Yeah. So I was saying, to sum up what you're, you're saying here, is if you get justification wrong, it shows up in the Mass in the way we kind of flip the arrows around. What do I mean by that, flipping, flipping the, arrows? the arrows around? So is it something I'm doing for God or something God's doing for me? Yeah. And so whether you're talking about baptism, whether you're talking about the Lord's Supper, uh, you go down the list. You know, if, if the idea is I'm doing something for God to make him happy, then you're approaching this from a, from a very legalistic standpoint uh, rather than from the standpoint of God's promises that were fulfilled in the sending of his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins and those promises connected to the, the means by which he distributes to us and conveys to us and imparts to us the forgiveness of sins that Jesus, the Son of God, earned for us once and for all by being delivered into death for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Very good. Let's get into uh, this article here in the opening paragraphs. Uh, I'll read a portion, and then I'll ask our guests uh, a couple questions about them. All right, so Article 4 in the Book of Concord, we're reading from the Reader's Edition, uh, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord. Article 4 of the Apology, Paragraph 1. In Articles 4, 5, uh, 6, and 20, that's referring back to the Augsburg Confession, they, that would be the uh, opponents, the Roman Catholic uh, opponents, condemn us for teaching that, quote, people obtain forgiveness of sins not because of their own merits, but freely for Christ's sake through faith in Christ, end quote. They condemn us both for denying that people obtain forgiveness of sins because of their own merits and for affirming that through faith, People obtain forgiveness of sins and are justified through faith in Christ. Pastor Worth, I'll ask you a question on this one, and then I'll go to Pastor Preuss for the next paragraph. So, Pastor Worth, on this paragraph, it seems like there, there are two points here that the Roman Catholic opponents are condemning the Lutherans for. One on for what the Lutherans deny, and one on for what the... Lutherans affirm, and what? how would you sum those up? So, so again, they condemn us for both denying that people can obtain forgiveness of sins by their own merits, and, conversely, for affirming that through faith, people obtain forgiveness of sins and are justified through faith in Christ. So, uh, on the one hand, the Romans wanted to emphasize that you can merit God's salvation, God's verdict of righteousness, God's forgiveness, by what you do. And so that's one part. And then the flip side is to act as though faith is not enough. Is is, is that enough? Or is faith enough to receive the gift of forgiveness? Or do you have to have something more that contributes in a meritorious way for getting salvation, it's getting righteousness? Jesus plus something else. There you go. In, yeah. in Rome. In the, at least in the medieval Roman church, and we would contend still today. All right, Pastor Preuss, I want to go on to paragraph two here, and then I've got to ask, I need to ask you a question about this. Paragraph two. But in this controversy, the chief topic of Christian doctrine is treated. When it is understood correctly, it illumines and amplifies Christ's honor, which is especially useful for the clear, correct understanding of the entire Holy Scriptures 
and alone shows the way to the unspeakable treasure and right knowledge of Christ, and alone opens the door to the entire Bible. It brings necessary and most abundant consolation to devout consciences. I've got to say, that paragraph right there, that is worthy. You could just put that on a plaque and put it on a wall. I mean, that just says so much right there. Now, Pastor Preuss, where he says the chief topic of Christian doctrine, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with a Latin phrase, uh, articulus stantus et cadentis ecclesiae. Mm-hmm. For the Latin impaired, could you explain that? Well, that's the, the, the article on which the church stands or falls, which is interesting. I, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to locate exactly where that w- first originated. We have, we have a justification here identified as the chief topic. And then it was also called that topic on which the church stands or falls, which means, the word article means topic. Yeah. And it means that if, if this stands, the church will stand. If this falls, the church, the church will fall. And, and that's because the, 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 uh, if, if we have the righteousness of Christ, if, 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 if that is what God has reckoned to us, then we truly are uh, righteous, we're children of God, and the church itself is the holy Christian church. But, it, but if, if we don't have his righteousness, and we're going it on our own, and we're basing it on our works, then the, the whole foundation for the church is shot. And so we become something entirely different than the church uh, if we're trusting in what we do, instead of having the doing and dying of Jesus being the foundation for the church. So, so you get that right, you get justification right, and then the church is set on its foundation. You get it wrong, and it's pushed off. And then if you don't have, if you have that right, here it says that this opens the door to the entire Bible, and I would suppose, conversely, if you get this wrong, you're going to read the Bible wrong. Yeah. Uh, go ahead on that. Well, yeah, because, like, for example, let's say you're reading in the text, uh, but the man tried to justify himself, and he says, so who is my neighbor? Now, when, when you read that, uh, and Jesus tells a story about the Good Samaritan, when you know that you're justified by faith alone through Christ, and, and this guy's trying to justify himself, you know uh, that, that Jesus isn't trying to teach this fella how to become righteous. He's mm-hmm. trying to show this fellow he's not righteous. That he needs a better righteousness than he can muster. Exactly. But if you don't have that doctrine straight in your head, you will often be misreading the text to think that, oh, here Jesus is showing me how I can work my way to heaven. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, But if you, if you get the doctrine of justification straight then you're going to understand the law, the gospel, and you're not going to mix them up and depend on the law to do what only the gospel can do. And you're going to see the person and work of Christ as the center. As Jesus himself said, these are the scriptures that testify about me. That's right. And you'll see the work of of Christ in terms of your own salvation and not just simply as an example to follow, mm-hmm. but, as, but as to actually to trust in what he did and knowing that that is what 
uh, uh, justifies me. And Pastor Worth, here in this section, the confessors are saying that um, this correct understanding of justification gives us two things, and if you get it wrong, it hides two things, one in relation to Christ and one in relation to the sinner. Uh, this doctrine of justification, if you get it right, what does it do about, say about Christ, and what does it give to a sinner? Okay, well, first of all, if, regarding Christ, you know, he gives all the, the glory to Christ of his honor, what he has done for us. It gives him the honor and glory due him for what he has accomplished once and for all, for all sinners, for all time. And then what it does for the sinner, it gives this unspeakable treasure of God, the riches of God's grace, the, the comfort uh, and consolation to terrified consciences to know I have peace with God through the merits of Christ that are given to me, the forgiveness of sins. God is not angry. He has laid his thunder by. His anger against my sin was meted out on Jesus in my place. And, and because Jesus bore my sins for me on the cross and rose again for my justification, I can be sure God forgives me. I have peace with God. Uh, I don't have to be terrified that God is going to cast me into hell. And what a difference that makes. And Pastor Price, if you get this wrong, not only are you depriving Christ of his glory, saying Jesus didn't do enough, but also it introduces uncertainty, the monster of uncertainty for the conscience and can lead in a couple of different directions. If you think you're righteous enough or if you think no matter what I do, I can't be righteous enough. What does this do for the person's conscience? Well, it's either going, uh, it's going to lead him in, into uh, either presumption or, or despair, and often maybe sometimes both a little bit at the mm -hmm. same time, because uh, the, the comfort, and this is a common theme throughout uh, this article, the, 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 the glory of Christ and the comfort of the penitent yes. sinner, uh, that, that um, if... If it isn't him, if it isn't what he did, uh, then it has to be what I do, which will ultimately, if I take it this seriously, lead me to despair uh, and, and just to hopelessness, because I can't do it. Yeah. As you say, this is a recurring refrain throughout, particularly this article, uh, this twofold refrain. It gives all glory to Christ and gives true and the only sure comfort terrified consciences. We'll come back on the article of justification after this break. You're listening to Concord Matters. Does your church need help to discover its true mission? Hi, this is Rich Robertson, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. It happens to all of us. At some point in our lives, we get distracted, confused, or maybe even burned out, and eventually we lose focus. So it's nice to know at times like these that you have a partner at LCEF. Our ministry support services can help your church clarify its mission so it enjoys sustained health and growth. Learn more at www.lcef.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, and Corporate Synod daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash jobs board. 
KFUO embracing today's technologies to bring the good news message of Christ to the world. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth or sync up to listen in your car while driving anywhere. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org. On the air, online, and on demand, the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. 44 years ago this month, the United States Supreme Court issued its infamous Roe v. Wade ruling legalizing abortion on demand. Since then, nearly 60 million babies have been killed in the womb. Every year since, people have gathered in Washington and other cities in protest. The March for Life takes place on January 27th. I'm Kip Allen, and the March for Life President Gene Mancini is my guest this Wednesday on Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO. On January 20th, 1945, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was inaugurated for an unprecedented fourth term as president. Just 83 days later, on April 12th, radio programs across the country were interrupted. Over the White House at Washington, the flag flies at half-staff as a grief-stricken nation mourns the death of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, President of the United States. Inside, in the historic cabinet room, Vice President Harry S. Truman takes the oath of office as President. And Vice President Harry S. Truman became the nation's 33rd President. In 1949, for his second oath of office, President Truman's hand rested on two Bibles, one used at his first swearing-in ceremony open to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, and a copy of the Gutenberg Bible, open to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Engage with the Bible in its influence in the history of a nation. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters. I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen. And our guest today, Pastor Warren Worth, here in the studio, and on the phone, Pastor Rolf Preuss. We're talking about Article 4 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, the article on justification. We welcome your comments or questions. Toll-free number, 800-730-2727. Locally in St. Louis, 314-821-821. 0850, email address kfuo at kfuo.org. We're going to pick it up here at paragraph 3. I'll read paragraphs 3 through 6, and then we'll discuss that. Therefore, we ask his imperial majesty, here they're talking to about uh, Emperor Charles V. Therefore, we ask his imperial majesty to hear us with patience in matters of such importance. For the adversaries do not understand what the forgiveness of sins or faith or grace or righteousness is. Therefore, they sadly corrupt this topic, hide Christ's glory and benefits, and rob devout consciences of the consolation offered in Christ. In order that we may strengthen the position of our confession and also remove the charges that the adversaries advance against us, certain points are to be set forth in the beginning. Then the sources of both kinds of doctrine, that of our adversaries and our own, may be known. Now paragraph 5. All scripture ought to be distributed 
into these two principal topics, the law and the promises. For in some places, Scripture presents the law, and in others, the promises about Christ. In other words, in the Old Testament, Scripture promises that Christ will come, and it offers for his sake the forgiveness of sins, justification, and life eternal. Or in the Gospel, in the New Testament, Christ himself, since he has appeared, promises the forgiveness of sins, justification, and life eternal. Furthermore, in this discussion, by law, we mean the Ten Commandments, wherever they are read in the Scriptures. We say nothing at present about the ceremonies and judicial laws of Moses. So, Pastor Preuss, uh, here they're saying there's two main messages that God gives us in the Scriptures. How would you, uh, how do, what terms would we use to to uh, talk about these two main messages? Well, we talk about the law and the gospel. Uh, the law is uh, what God tells us that we are to do. Uh, it, it affects it is both what we should uh, want, what we should say, what we should do. Uh, it's summarized summarized in the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. His commands, and it shows us uh, it uh, shows us our sin, of course, and uh, condemns us for our failure to obey it. The gospel or good news doesn't tell us what to do. It tells us uh, what Christ has done for us and that God, for Christ's sake, forgives us all our sins. So the law, the response to the law is, is, is you must obey. Uh, the gospel invites faith to trust in it, and that's where justification through faith uh, uh, comes from, because you can't, you can't obey the gospel. It's not a demand on you. It's a promise. It's uh, the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. So it's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Pastor Wirth, uh, here uh, Melanchthon, who's the author of this article and this uh, apology, um, distinguishes among the, when the term law is used, uh, about, he distinguishes between the Ten Commandments, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament, and the ceremonies or judicial laws of Moses. What are meant by the ceremonies or judicial laws of Moses? Well, in the Old Testament, you have more than one kind of law. You've got the moral law, uh, and but you also have the ceremonial law and the political law of the Jews that God gave at Sinai through Moses for the people of Israel. That, that was time limited. It was for the people of Israel before Christ came. Let's take each one of those. What do you mean by the, the ceremonial law? Yeah, the ceremonial law would have to do with all those laws given uh, by God to Moses and the people of Israel that had to do with making sacrifices, how they were to worship God in the Old Testament times. So the priesthood, the sacrifices, the tabernacle and its appointments. Dietary laws. Dietary laws regarding clean. Sabbath. What's clean and unclean and, and so forth. The Sabbath Circumcision. Laws. Circumcision. Uh, the, all the holy days, you know, so you mentioned the Sabbath, you mentioned Passover, all these others, all that kind of stuff we call ceremonial law. And it was given by God, it was commanded by God for the people of Israel to prepare them for the coming of the Savior. And it was a very elaborate uh object lesson, you might say, in this regard, because it both showed their sinfulness, how how easily we become unclean, and mm-hmm. our need for God to come in, to mm-hmm. intervene, to make us clean, to provide cleansing, and that cleansing was made through blood sacrifice. Now, 
And again, even the blood sacrifice, it was animal sacrifices. The animals died and their blood was shed so that the, the, the blood of the sinner, the human being, was not shed. He would not die because somebody else was dying in his place. Now, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs couldn't really take away sin. It would take the blood of the Son of God shed for us once and for all on Calvary's cross to really do that. But all those sacrifices in the Old Testament certainly pointed to Christ and was on account of the coming sacrifice of Christ that forgiveness of sins was offered by God through this sacrificial system. So Jesus is the fulfillment of our of our 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 cleanness and uh, he is our Sabbath rest and so on and so forth. So so St. Paul these things don't apply to us in the church whether Jew or Gentile today. They've been fulfilled. Right. Christ filled fulfilled that. He did everything that those things could picture. He fulfilled and because he fulfilled it, now we don't need animal sacrifice. Christ by his one sacrifice, has uh, uh, perfected forever those who okay. trust in him. And so in him, Christ is our Passover sacrifice for us. He is it's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanses us from all sin. And then judicial laws, what are meant by that, the judicial laws of Moses? So if you want to think about the, the civil or political laws of the, of the Jews, you know, they had a, they, eventually they would get a king, right? And so Israel was, Old Testament Israel is both church and state. Exactly. And so they have laws about if your ox gores, your neighbor's ox, here's how you restitute. and Exactly. And it's interesting that a lot of that American civil law, you know, learns from the law of Moses in that regard. But yet, no, it's not the law of Moses per se that applies to American citizens or to Christians today. But certainly there are things that, that uh, civil society has learned from how God to expressed these curb, things. To put a curb and keep order in society. We call that the first use of the law. Absolutely. Right. But now, Pastor Preuss, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, which Jesus summarized as, how did Jesus summarize the, what we call the two tables of the, of the Ten Commandments? That you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is a summary of of the Ten Commandments. You love God more than anything. You love your neighbor as yourself. And then the first table of the law would be the first three commandments, the way we Lutherans number them. And then the second table of the law would be commandments four through ten. The first having to do with loving God above all things, and the second table having to do with loving our neighbor. Now, on a scorecard, on a report card, let's say I get a B plus, <laughs> and on, maybe I get a B plus on loving God, and maybe a B minus on loving my neighbor. But there are people on my in my neighborhood I know get a D minus. I mean, do I get in because I got a better uh, well, grade? Here's where, here's where the little catechism is so helpful, because you start off with every one of these commandments. We should fear and love God, so that. And so then you look at how you fear God and how you love God. And then you don't, your B, your B plus, uh, well, you don't get a B plus. <laughs> you, you get a B damned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the, uh, the first commandment, I mean, my goodness, that's, uh, that if you obeyed the first commandment, you'd be obeying all 10 of them. And, uh, but whatever you fear, love, and trust in the most is your God. And so ultimately, then, all of us are guilty of idolatry. So the law is not my friend in terms of gaining eternal life. No, your law, as uh, we sing in that one hymn, the law is but a mirror bright to bring the inbred sin to light that lurks within our nature. It shows us 
that we are lost. And if you really, if you have the law properly taught, then of course that's the that's the introduction to the gospel because you're not going to be looking for someone to take your place and to obey the law and suffer for your sins in your stead until you know you need such a mediator with such a substitute. If you don't think you need them, then the gospel just flies right over your head. Right. So you got to have the rug stripped out from underneath you, which is what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, where he amps up the law, because I think the Pharisees actually were making it too easy on themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, Pastor Worth, uh, would this be correct to say the Old Testament is the law, the New Testament is the gospel? No, that would not be correct to say. So? Though that that's often the way people view it. Often it's a popular misconception about Scripture. But actually, uh, both Old and New Testament contain law and gospel. The Old Testament certainly contains gospel, particularly as uh, you have the promise of the coming Savior. Yeah. And in the, in the New Testament, we have the announcement that the Savior has come as God promised, that he kept the law perfectly in our stead, that he suffered and died in our stead, uh, that he rose again and God declared the whole world righteous in the resurrection of Jesus, but also then you have law in terms of not only condemning law to show us our sin, but also then the third use of the law to show us now as the redeemed, how do we live a new life uh, as those who respond to God's love for us by loving God not and loving our neighbor. Not that we're saved by that, but now that we are saved and have a Holy Spirit and a new nature, we want to please God and and. Exactly. Serve our neighbor. So our trust is not put in our works, our merits, even after we're brought to faith. The whole point is, from beginning to end, you know, we're, our salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. But, but as those who are redeemed, restored, forgiven in Christ by God's grace, now we do respond. Again, God working in us. Uh, you know, the whole Ephesians two thing, where God has prepared these works for us in advance that we do them, and He's the one who enables us to to do of His good pleasure. Good. We have a caller on the line, and it is Winnie from Chesterfield here in Missouri. Welcome to the program, Winnie. <clears throat> oh, thank you very much. It's um. A timely topic for me. I've been okay. really considering um, trying to discern about um, the Catholic Mass and about re- just what's true, God's ways, um, um, spiritually discerning things, because I've come to the conclusion that um, really it's only God that's going to be my teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, he has given me his spirit, because when I was 19, um, I <clears throat> received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Once I realized what a sinner I am and that he had everything and has done everything for me, and when I came to him, I knew that meant he was Lord. I knew that meant he's the boss. I mean, that that that, that came together, and nobody told me that, but when I was convicted of my sin and he was helping me see he's the Savior and I humbled myself to receive him as my Savior, I knew that meant he is my, he's my God, that it's like Lord. So he's my teacher. And I say all that to say this journey of mine um, is very timely. Uh, yesterday and then today I, I heard your program as I'm in traffic, a lot of us were in traffic today. And then um, 
I got home and my daughter posted something from Tim Keller. And it really sums up what you guys are saying. Sin grows when we think we deserve something from God. Godliness grows when we, we remember we are debtors to God. And I think in every aspect that plays into my heart's discerning of how to live, to respond to his grace, to trust his work at Calvary, to um, walk in love. Uh, it's not going to come from us. It comes from him. Thank and you. I just wanted to pass that on. Thank Tim, you, Winnie. You're welcome. All right. Pastor Worth, any comment on that? Well, and again, it is it's so true that uh, we we are we are debtors, and and we are. The gospel is all about being given to, and mm-hmm. God, God gives to us. Uh, he gave His only Son, and in His Son, He gives us grace, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Everything comes to us as a gift from God, and our life then is a response to what God has given us in Christ. It's not something that we do first to earn God's favor, Mm -hmm. but rather God is the one who loved us first. We respond then by loving God and loving one another as his spirit works in us through the gospel. And again, to to know and discern things from God, I think this is something we need to, to say to our sister in Christ here. You know, it, it's in God's word. How do I know the truth? How how do I know this? You know, God is my teacher, and he teaches me in his word. So it's, it's the word of scripture in which I can be sure God has spoken to me here. God shows me the truth here, both the law and the gospel. And God's will, God's truth is made known in the scriptures, and the scriptures focus on Christ. And Christ has established in his church pastors who are apt to teach and who are trained in in the scriptures to uh, properly and correctly divide law and gospel, etc. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Paragraphs 7 and 8, and I'm going to ask Pastor Preuss about these paragraphs. Of these two parts of scripture, the law and the promises, uh, the adversaries choose the law because in some way human reason naturally understands the law for it has the same judgment divinely written in the mind. Uh, I think Romans 2 says written in the heart. Same, Same idea. By the law, they seek the forgiveness of sins and justification. The Ten Commandments require outward civil works, which reason can in some way produce. But they also require other things placed far above reason, truly to fear God, truly to love God, truly to call upon God, truly to be convinced that God hears us and to expect God's aid in death and in all afflictions. Finally, the law requires obedience to God in death and all afflictions so that we may not run from these commandments or refuse them when God lays them upon upon us. Pastor Price, I, I recall a phrase called the opinio legis, the opinion of the law. And um, they're saying here this comes naturally to us. What What is that talking about? And to what extent can we do the law? Well, thank you for the question. I think that this is uh, the, the opinion, the opinio legis, the idea is, uh, the, that the, the way a person is is geared in his fallen condition 
is he simply assumes that that the way to get back into God's good graces, to find your way to God, is by means of obeying the law. So they look at the law as 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 a way uh, to get back to God. It is a means of salvation for them, and that's because they are blind to the true requirements of the law. Uh, they always are trying to make the law doable. And so if they can't do what the law really demands, to fear God, to love God, to trust in God above all things, then what they're going to do is they're going to revise the law so that, it conform- so that they are actually obeying the revised law, and then they can pretend that by this kind of obedience... Uh, they're doing what needs to be done uh, for salvation to be, you know, back in God's good graces. Or and the world, the world will praise them. Oh yeah, Pastor Worth. Uh, I think of you know some famous celebrities who do a lot of philanthropic work and charitable work, and you know they may have no use for the church or Christ, but the world will praise them for their. They say, well, that's a good person. So in the sight of man. You know, there are things that we can do that are good. And the distinction that that the apology is making here is helping us to understand the difference between outward civil good works, like giving a hundred bucks to a poor man on the street corner, versus what is actually pleasing in God's sight and to, to fulfill all that God demands in his law. To love my neighbor as myself is more than just once in a while when I have an extra hundred bucks to give it to a poor guy and feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're right. So, so uh, as the apology goes on to say, in one sense, there are civil outward good works that, that reason can do. But if that's all Jesus was talking about, then he died for nothing. Yeah. And the confessions will, the, the article will go on to that in a few paragraphs. But in the time that remains, I want to read uh, paragraphs 9 through 11, because there are a couple of phrases in here. From my studies, I can see this is the foil. This is the medieval Roman Catholic notion that is being um, spoken against in this section. And we'll get to that. You'll hear, you'll recognize some of us will recognize a couple phrases in here if you know anything about medieval Roman Catholic theology. All right, I'm going to read paragraphs 9 through 11. Here the scholastics, which was the schoolmen, the late Roman Catholic medieval theologians, here the scholastics have followed the philosophers like Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. They teach only a righteousness of reason. That is, they teach civil works. Besides that, they imagine reason can love God above all things without the Holy Spirit. Uh, For as long as the human mind is at ease and does not feel God's wrath or judgment, it can imagine that it wants to love God, that it wants to do good for God's sake. In this way, they teach that people merit forgiveness of sins by doing what is in them. Namely, when reason produces an act of love toward God by grieving over sin or when reason is active in doing what is good for God's sake. Because this notion naturally flatters people, it is brought forth and multiplied in the church many services, monastic vows, and abuses of the Mass. In the course of time with this opinion, Someone has come up with one act of worship and observances, and someone else others. 
To nourish and increase confidence in such works, the scholastics have asserted that God must give grace to a person who does such works. Not that he is forced to, but that God will not change what he ordered. Now, either of you gentlemen, when I hear this paragraph, this section, I know exactly the phrase that they're, that Melanchthon is responding to here. And, uh, you know, so many of these things have been uh, fossilized in Latin, but uh, I know the phrase in Latin is, faciendi quod se est Deus non denegat gratiam. Any Latin uh, person here want to try to tackle that one? Or what? what is the medieval notion here? Basic, put into colloquial language, you, you do what you can. You do what is in you to do. Do your best, and then God's going to give you the grace. But see, it's a grace merit type. It's, 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 a, it's a working together type of a thing. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. To the, one who do. does, to the one who does that which is within him, yeah. God will not deny grace. So yeah. you do the best you can, and God will give you a booster shot of infused grace is kind of the idea. Pastor Worth, you want to respond to that? And, and while that flatters us, it, it flatters our high opinion that we have of ourselves, in the end is damning because it does not really make one right in the, in the sight of the, of the holy and righteous God. Without the merit of Christ, we are doomed, we are damned. And the other part of that is in the hour of trial, our conscience will also condemn us. We, we would realize, you know, have I really done as much as I can. Have I really done my best? You know, our, our conscience will still scream at us, and there will be no peace without the forgiveness of sins that comes freely for uh, as a gift of God's grace on account of Christ. Now, Pastor Preuss, here it says that this notion that we can uh, earn our way toward God by our works, that how does this actually lead to uh, even in the church, or you could say even especially in the church, uh, uh, works along these lines. He mentions several here. How does this notion, if we do works, how did that lead to lead to some abuses in the church? Well, because what it, this is, what it does is it changes the law. Not only does it change change you know turn the 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 gospel into law, but it turns the law into something that benefits the doer rather than the neighbor. And so I'm going to make myself righteous by be obeying rules that God didn't even give me. Yeah, man-made so, man-made works is yeah. what they're referring to. And they well, don't that's help, all they the, don't help anybody. Right. That's all the time we have for today. We're just scratching the surface here on the article of justification. More next week on Concord Matters.